Hello, and welcome to episode 94 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Well, Happy New Year. Here we are right at the beginning of uh, 2016. Uh, I got a short uh, announcement for you today, just about Closure Bridge. There's a Closure Bridge Berlin workshop happening. That's uh, January 22nd and 23rd. And you can find out more about that at www.closurebridge.org. I will remind you as well that Closure Bridge now sports a relatively new donate button, which you can uh, click and find out more about how to donate to that worthy organization. Would definitely encourage you uh, to do so. Uh, like I said, that's really about it for today. Not much to mention. Uh, Going to go ahead and get right on to the episode, so we will move right on. Uh, now, episode 94 of the Cognicast. Okay, cool. All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to the Cognicast. Today is Monday, December 21st in the year 2015. And our guest today is once again, although we do not have him on frequently enough, we do have him on at least once a year. I'm talking, of course, about our CEO, Justin Getlin. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you very much for having me back, Craig. Oh, we, we have to. I mean, not only because uh, it's a tradition, but because you're always such an entertaining guest. And because I'm your boss. Uh, well, there's that too. <laughs> Technically my grand boss, but hey. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, but no, we are really thrilled to have you. I always enjoy our discussions. But before we start that, uh, we ask you a question. That question for us at the beginning of the show is, we ask our guests to share with us some experience relating to art. Uh, you've had this question before, so I'm sure you're familiar, but just... Briefly, this can be an experience relating to art in any way that you see fit, uh, uh, on any topic you see fit, uh, whether it's books, movies, or any other thing that you decide it should be. So what do you got for us? So uh, I have a lot that I would pick from, but but this one um, stands out to me as um, uh, meaningful in terms of how I experience art and why. Um, uh, my wife and I, on our honeymoon um, in 2000, went to Italy, and among the places we went was the Vatican Museum. And I don't know if you have been, have you been, Craig? I have not. Um, uh, I'm sure several people listening to this might have been. The The cool thing about the Vatican Museum um, is that it's largely self-guided tours, and you can pick them the short, the medium, the long, or the extra long, or at least you could back in 2000, and where short meant the three-hour tour. <laughs> Wait. Gilligan's Island theme music cue. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they could be progressively longer. Um, but at the end of any of those tours, because basically they were just cut off hallways, right? Turn left here instead of go straight, and you cut off an hour and a half of, of the Vatican. At the end of any of those tours is the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> and of course, we've all heard about the Sistine Chapel all of our lives as this, you know, incredible piece of artwork. Um so we set out on the shortest of the many tours, the three-hour version, and um, wound our way through uh, an unconscionable collection of art that spanned thousands of years. Um, as you might guess, right, the Catholic Church has been around for a long time and is 
well, I was going to say richer than God, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> extremely wealthy. <laughs> extremely wealthy. Um, and they have quite a collection, and it becomes exhausting, right? Any museum becomes exhausting if you spend too much time in it. Um, the, the overwhelming sensation of beautiful art and beautiful art and beautiful art, and the tapestry rooms there in particular were unbelievable. Um, and at the end of every hallway is a sign that says Capella Sistina, and then with an arrow. And so at the end of every hallway filled with as much art as your brain can take in, there's a sign promising that the Sistine Chapel is just around the corner. Mm -hmm. And it's never true. <laughs> and so after three hours of, of progressively becoming inured to beauty, you are finally dumped into the Sistine Chapel, rather suddenly, actually, given all the foreshadowing uh, in the, the, the travels. And when you go in, there's a giant sign right before you walk in that says, you know, absolute quiet demanded, right? It's a holy place and, and, and please respect everybody else. And when you go through the doors into it, you find yourself in what is essentially a mall food court at high feast hour uh, with a bunch of tourists yelling and screaming and stamping and doing all manner of, you know, ill behavior. Plus, it's poorly ventilated. And so you have all of these sweaty tourists crammed into this one poorly ventilated place so you can imagine what it smells like. And so after three hours of traipsing through the, the Vatican and, you know, paying minute detail to Etruscan pottery and, you know, everything else we passed, we spent about 30 seconds in the Sistine Chapel looking up, um, listening to crowds yelling around us and smelling them and said, all right, we're out of here. <laughs> um, and uh, to me, that's always been now the sort of experience of art is whatever that they're building up me to, um, I know is going to be a letdown. So I'm going to go focus on the other details. Mm. Uh, and it's taught me a very valuable lesson that's kept me sane to this day. I'm, I'm sure, I am sure there's a metaphor for software development in there, if not <laughs> four or five that's somehow. Right. I think I, I, I felt one uh, hovering beneath the service when you were talking about the signs that say, you're nearly there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's a, every hallway was an iteration. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. I like it. Uh, no, Solution is around the corner. That's very cool. That's very cool. I love that story. Uh, excellent. Thanks for that. No problem. All right. Well, so here we are. People can probably guess what our main topic of conversation is today. This is the episode that either ends our fourth season or begins our fifth season or both, depending on how you want to look at it. And, of course, as we always do uh, every year, uh, you are our very first guest on the podcast, as many people I know, um, and every year we've had you back on, and you and I have uh, talked about the year that's gone by, and then to the extent that we're able to, talked about uh, what we think might be coming up in 2016. So um, I just love doing that, and I'm glad that we're going to be doing it again today, and we may as well go ahead and jump right in. So so Justin, what 2015, what's up with that? <laughs> 2015, well... Um... I think for me, um, 2015, uh, you know, I always have these sort of buckets that I like to talk about. And uh, I know that a lot of our listeners are you know, uh, fans of or members of the Clodagh community. And uh, the Clodagh community is one of the sort of the pieces of our world that uh, we feel quite strongly about. And, uh, you know, we take our stewardship of our part of it very seriously uh, and our goal you know, always is to uh, enable that community to grow um, uh, in, you know, the ways that it needs to. And so 2015 was great um, in that respect. I think some of the things that, that, you know, personally, I took a lot of, 
benefit from. Uh, one was we got involved this year with the Euro closure and sort of added that under the Cognitech banner. And, and you know, now we have closure cons, closure West and, and Euro closure. And, and this was my first trip um, to, to Euro closure, uh, even though it's been, you know, it's, it's its fourth year, it's first year under our banner and going to Barcelona this year and, you know, meeting the European closure community face to face in a way that I hadn't really been able to before, you know, I'd met parts of it on business trips before, but never really en masse, um, was awesome. It was awesome for me. I hope it was at least mildly useful for the people who attended the conference. And I think, you know, the conference went very well and, and, um, and people were excited to, to, to be there. And, and, uh, I think the, the talks were great, but, but more than anything, it was just really nice for me and for Cognitex to, uh, get over there and, and, and be more, um, in, involved. Uh, and, um, I'm very excited to see the growth of the community in Europe. It's, it's certainly, you know, <laughs> leaps and bounds. I think, um, Luke Vanderhart went over to speak it, um, and I'm going to mash this pronunciation, I'm sure, but closure tray, um, in Finland. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I've butchered the pronunciation of that show to Twitter gentle ridicule myself several times right. now. Is it is it Klojutra? I, I have don't know. <laughs> absolutely no idea. We're going to go with whatever comes out of your mouth. But but I know that you know there were 200 and some people at that show, and uh, the feedback that we got from from that has been great. And so um, that's a huge thing uh, for me personally, and it's something I'm really enjoying. Um, you know, gearing up for again this coming year, and and on the on the theme of the conferences, you know, Closure um, West this last year uh, was in Portland and um, uh, the cons, we had moved to Philadelphia for the first time this year. And, and um, in every one of those shows, uh, you know, the, the trend of the last couple of years has, has maintained, which is that more than 50% of the attendees at these shows uh, are first time attendees at a Closure conference. And with the addition of the fact that, that the attendance at each show has grown each year, that just means that, that uh, the community is growing and that we are attracting more people uh, to come over and experience the language and the community and the conferences and the material. Um, and uh, it continues to be a really thrilling um, experience to go to each of those. And, and obviously now we're planning uh, an upcoming um, Closure West, uh, which by the time this show has aired, uh, we will have publicly announced its, its date and location, which is in Seattle, um, uh, April 15th and 16th, um, which will be fun to take Closure West off to a new city. It's been in Portland and San Francisco in its previous runs. And then, uh, you know, obviously we're looking ahead to our, to where Euro Closure and where Conj will be um, uh, in 2016 and, and uh, trying to pick new venues that will um, accommodate the growth of each of these shows. It's, it's a pretty steady growth. So we kind of know what to expect, um, but it means we have to cast around for um, different venues than the ones we've had in the past, uh, which is all fun. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Alex Miller and, and Lynn Grogan uh, and Kim Foster, um, who are our prime team, you know, working the, the shows continue to do a fantastic job in lining things up and, and you know, making um, great experiences. So uh, we continue to love everybody's feedback, and and uh, we hope to see everybody at those shows again this coming year. Um, and I don't know about you, Craig, because you were there, um, but I thought Philadelphia was a great location um, to try for Conj. I, I really felt like uh, the, the the part of the city we were in was was really accommodating to the show, uh, and I felt it was a pretty good vibe um, uh, at the event. Yeah, I totally agree. It was definitely a good uh, place. And I know it's, an, it's a venue that has had experience with conferences and other conferences have 
of similar size have uh, have been held there. So I think it was a, it was a good choice. Although, uh, as you observe, the conferences keep growing, and at some point we outgrow each of the venues we've been at. Uh, the the and you you mentioned Seattle for Closure West, uh, and of course we were jokingly observing that um, uh, the Conj and now I guess you could also say Closure West have been uh, sort of overall drifting north. And so one wonders where in Canada we'll be able to hold it in ten years. We're <clears throat> we're going to do Greenland. There you go. <laughs> going to combine everything in Greenland. <laughs> there you go. Um, Lots uh, of space. It's east from somewhere, west from somewhere else, and the Europeans can get there. So. There you go. <laughs> world closure, closure world. The closure world. There you or go. Closure uh, one, something, something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I think that that that, that um, uh, was a. You know, I won't. I won't say it's the prime thing that happened this year, but it sticks out um, because uh, you know, getting across the the Atlantic and and um, putting toes in water was a was a high point for me. Yeah, actually, I, I, so could we could we visit that a little bit? I mean, because yeah. I think I have the same impression that you uh, do, which is, uh, although you know, I'm not uh, in Europe, I'm not working um, on closure in Europe. Uh, still, it feels like maybe the, it's always hard to quantify these things, but it feels like the year where the level of closure in Europe rose to the point where it was palpable even from this side of the pond, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that that it was certainly the year where we um, uh, felt the connection um, of um, the, you know, where it felt like one large community that spanned both continents and more, right? It, it, it's, it's really global now in a way that it was um, a little murkier, I would say, in previous years. Uh, and I'm sure that the experience of different people in the community is different. But for us, you know, and, and Cognitech's a business, so I can I can talk about both sides of this, right? Where, you know, in, in, in the one sense, we have the pure community side where, you know, we started to have more conversations with people about closure and, 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 um, and do things like join the conference movement over there. Um, but then from a business perspective, it's also the year where uh, the number of phone calls we got on a business side of the house um, rose dramatically. And, and you know, uh, we have a, that's not unique, but a somewhat privileged position to see sort of both ends of that conversational spectrum. Uh, and it's just absolutely true that, that um, you know, we are seeing a, a, a global uptake and uptick um, across that whole spectrum. And, and uh, 2015 is clearly the year where that became obvious and and pal and palpable um now they've you know <laughs> the, the european closure community has been uh, doing incredible work uh, ever since closure came out and uh, uh it just feels now suddenly like we're we're all talking <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's like i said that was my impression as well sorry so, please continue yeah. yes go ahead so so what else in in 2015 uh you know from a a, a cognitech specific side i think 2015 was a, a year of growth of the organization we've added uh quite a large number of people um for our own pace of growth uh, i think we've added six or seven people over the course of the year uh some new engineers some people in the sales teams people on the marketing team operations folks uh and what has been fascinating about that is um, i think most of our listeners know that that um, about Four years ago, we made a conscientious decision to um, stop focusing on on local growth in Durham, North Carolina, which had been it's our headquarters. It's where we founded the company. Um, but uh, after 
you know, the first seven years of the company, we, we, we figured out that we couldn't keep growing by making everybody either start from or move to Durham. And so after having made that decision, um, we spent the last four years growing um, in a distributed manner. And by which, before which, by the way, I'm quite grateful. <laughs> it certainly is uh, the only way we could have the team we've actually amassed. Um, uh, there's, you know, and I'll, I can talk about my philosophy on that if, if it's interesting, but but what's been fascinating this year is as we've grown this year, um, uh, about half of those new additions are here in Durham. Which, so it's the first time in four years we've added new people here uh, at what is, you know, uh, HQ, but only in name because we're still uh, less than a third of the company is here in, in North Carolina. Um, and so while I felt that 2015 was the first year where we had finally banished the word remoter from our lexicon, um, right. It's not that we have yeah. a home office and everybody's remote. It's that we're a distributed team. That's, that's funny. I never even noticed that happening, but it totally, I, now that you say that it's, it absolutely is the case that we don't really, it, it was never a class distinction before, but it was definitely some, a word that came up way more than it does now. It is, it is absolutely a conscious effort to try to not use that kind of terminology. Um, but that being said, suddenly now we've, we've, uh, added some more people here um, in in Durham, and it actually, you know, it it obviously has an effect on the local uh, uh, the density in the office and the number of people you see on a regular basis. Today's a you know dramatic exception, given that it's just before Christmas, so I'm nearly alone in the office. I think I've seen two other faces go by, maybe three. Um, but uh, so that's been really interesting. But it's also great to uh, you know we're growing all kinds of of new skill sets within the business and, um, you know, gearing up for what we hope is a great 2016. And, uh, so that's been fun. And, um, uh, you know, on the, on the closure front, we've, we've spent, uh, the year, um, trying to do a couple of things. Uh, and, and, um, uh, you know, the biggest thing for us has been, um, uh, being good stewards of the parts of the community that, that we need to be stewards of. Um, and one of those things has been uh, trying to um, keep the pace of uh, innovation and, and releases going well. So we've seen, you know, the advent of uh, 1.7 over the course of the year. And of course, uh, 1.8 is in RC4 as of uh, last week. Um, and trying to keep that pace going uh, has been um, uh, good work and hard work. And, um, and I think it's been uh, well received so far. So um, those have all been fun. Uh, so what other parts of the year do you want to discuss? Uh, actually, yeah, I, the, well, I think there's quite a few things left to talk about. Uh, but, uh, but the one thing you mentioned uh, was your, and of course, I'm personally invested in the topic of being remote, being distributed. Uh, you mentioned that you had a couple words you could share about your philosophy on the shift. Uh, I'd love to hear those. Sure. Um, obviously, at Cognitech, we have a very specific skill set on the engineering side that, that we need to hire for. And when we, when we were doing the, when we were first becoming the company we are now, um, so this is really think back to 2008, um, uh, we started to um, try to hire closure people. And, you know, in 2008, which is a long time ago, <laughs> there weren't that many of them. Uh, and so, um, you know, it wasn't the only factor, but it was one of the prime factors that, that made us say, um, we've really got to rethink the, you know, we're a largely Durham-based company with a few people uh, who work from afar. And I think that, you know, 
that ability to attract people with the, the skill set that we were trying to um, bring on uh, was the precipitating thing. But as we started to attempt it and started to explore um, what that could look like, we also built some pretty serious you know, uh, skill in pairing remotely, um, which was the big fear was we had a very strong culture of, of pair programming at the time. Um, and, you know, could we pull that off? Uh, would people be willing to pair that way? And uh, the team poured a lot of effort into trying to set those, those skills up and, and set up that, that ability. And it turned out that we were pretty good at it and people enjoyed it almost as much or even sometimes more than sitting next to somebody at a keyboard. And, um, and that gave us a huge sort of lift um, in trying to pursue that. And I can honestly say that there is a 0% chance that we would have the team that we have today if we had, you know, mandated that everybody be in one place, no matter where that place was. We wouldn't be able to do this, certainly here in North Carolina. We wouldn't be able to do it in New York or San Francisco or, you know, pick your spot. Um, just wouldn't be possible. That being said, uh, I can also say without fear of contradiction and certainly uh, without any shadow of doubt in my mind that if everybody was co-located in one place, it would be a more effective team. Um, co-location uh, has advantages that can't be replicated by chat rooms and pair programming and video chats and everything else. It, the, the energy is different. Um, the serendipity, uh, the number of, of interesting conversations that happen and ideas that gel out of those because of random conversations uh, I don't want to say at the water cooler because nobody does that anymore, but over lunch and in the hallways and, and around tables, um, it is different. And uh, um, I know I notice it every time we get everybody together um, for our, you know, uh, cognition meetings. It, it's, it's it's palpably different. But that those two things don't have to be <laughs> mutually destructive. Uh, yes, if I had this team all in one place it would be a more effective team than it, than it is. However, uh, I wouldn't be able to have the awesome team that I have if I made them all come here. So it would be a different group of people um, who might be less effective than the group that we have. Uh, and um, when I examine those trade-offs, I'm perfectly thrilled with the trade-off that we've chosen. Um, but trade-offs is a big theme of us. Uh, um, we, we try to analyze the trade-offs of everything that we go about doing. Uh, and it's clear that this is the only way that we would proceed um, as Cognitech. I mean, heck, um, uh, Rich, you know, lives in New York and there's no way he's moving to North Carolina. And right there, this would not be the same company um, if we had chosen the other direction. And, and uh, but you can just go down the list of everybody uh, in the company and say, even some people who live here in North Carolina, they don't come to the office um, because it's 45 minutes away or whatever. And you can say, well, you, you know, if we didn't have this policy, they wouldn't be here. And boy, that would be a sad world. So you know, people have asked me many times if I if I could start over, if I had an ideal world. Well, if I had an ideal world, everybody could wake up in the morning, teleport to an office, hang out together, and then teleport home to wherever they wanted to be. That would be an ideal world. Um, given that I don't live in an ideal world, uh, I'd rather be able to um, be colleagues with the, the people that I can be colleagues with, whatever else that means. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and, and if we can stay on this theme uh, slightly longer, cause I think it's something that's, it, it's quite quite common, something that people run into a lot, right? I won't say universal, but it definitely is something people run into a lot. And it, it, it is really interesting to hear you say 
you know, that there are advantages to not being distributed, because I absolutely agree, and I think it's something that sometimes people are loath to admit, so it's great to hear you bring it up. Um, and it raises a couple questions for me, and they're complementary. Um, so the, the two are, if someone was to come to you and say, hey, Justin, I need your advice. I'm, I'm trying to take and, and become more effective or become a distributed company at all. Um, you know, what, what would you say to them in terms of what practice they should adopt, what single practice, they, if there's just one or maybe a couple? And then um, the, kind of the complementary question is, what types of organizations shouldn't try to do that? Because I'll, I'll pick on somebody obvious. When I was at Microsoft, um, uh, there were contexts at Microsoft, not necessarily the people I was working for, because I was working with um, Tim Ewald, actually, while I was there. Right. And, and he was very effective remote. Like when I was working with and for him, uh, you know, he was great at it. But, but other teams, not so much. And so I'm wondering if you could say both you should do this and, and maybe also if your company is like this, don't even try. I wonder if that's <laughs> advice you could give. Uh, certainly on the former, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to think while I talk about, about the latter. Um, the, the biggest piece of advice that I can give, and, and it harkens back to something I, I said a minute ago, uh, we had gotten really good at programming that we would be an effective distributed company. And it turns out that was so not the case. Um, and it was so not the issue. Uh, it turns out that um, programmers will, you know, they will find a level that makes it, uh, right, even if we hadn't spent that effort, individual pairs would have figured out how to make that work. And it turns out that, every, in fact, everybody, every individual pair ended up specializing the setup anyway. What we had failed to spend the time doing was analyzing and putting in practices that would allow for the non-technical communication of the company to happen at a level that would be acceptable. And so, uh, I mean, you know, Craig, you were one of the early, uh, back then, remoters. Yep. And you remember that we tried all manner of different things to increase the bandwidth of communication, one of which was your favorite thing, and I, it might have even been your invention, invention was, which was Remoter Week. Um, of having the then, you know, 10% or 15% of the company who wasn't in the office come into town uh, for a week just to work, not to do anything special, just, just to work around other people. <clears throat> you know, we used to have a um, uh, policy of weekly retros for the whole company. Uh, when, when you're all around one table, that's easy to do. And the more people become distributed, the harder that is to do until you get to a certain balance. And this is the other thing that, that I, I offer as advice to people. You know, I, I talk to startups here in town and things like that. Um, if they're just starting out, right, there's only you know, the one founder or three founders or whatever the team is that they've assembled. Usually they're all co-located. If they're not, that's great. I say, look, keep that up. Don't, if you're already distributed, don't become localized somewhere and then try to become distributed again. Start from that base point. You'll do better. Because your processes will be entirely targeted at that. If you are already localized somewhere and are trying to become distributed, um, two things are important. The first is focus entirely on corporate communication. And I don't mean like, you know, missives from the CEO. I mean, how do you talk about things that aren't actually getting some individual piece of work done? How do you keep people in, in the know about what's going on in the organization? And then secondly, there's a, there's a shift. Um, when you're at more than half of the people localized in one place, you will have separate classes of 
employee. It, it won't be explicit and it won't always feel that way, but it will very often feel that way. And it takes getting more than half of your company not in one place until you can sort of flip the switch. And uh, you know, now when we have all company meetings, at most, there's three or four people in one room. And so there's not this, well, most of the company is talking around a table and people are on a microphone trying to listen and hear snippets. Like that's what's wrong in that world before you get a, a decent density <laughs> uh, pushed out into the wider world. Uh, so now, um, you know, HQ is just one of the things that dials into a company meeting. And, and um, I, I haven't felt in at least two years, like, you know, that group of people dominates a meeting in any meaningful way. Oh, yeah. Um, it used to be my job to, um, to be on a call and say, I, I took up this job on myself. I wasn't like I was appointed it. I, I, I self-appointed myself as the boss saying, please do not talk at the same time. Because it was often the case that if you were in the room, because of you know just the reality of acoustics and the way it transmits over a network and all that stuff, if you're in the same room and two people are talking, you can choose to listen to one or maybe even hear both. But if you're on the, the phone, I'm using air quotes, if you're, on the, if you're listening in remotely, it was impossible. You like it, you just literally couldn't hear anything, and we would have meetings where you know fully half of the content was was multiple people talking. So I would just make it my job to every once in a while shout out, "Please one at a time, please one at a time," and that just <laughs> never happens anymore. What kind of company shouldn't attempt to become a distributed company? I don't know that when you have a culture. Uh, I'm going to pick on my wife's company. Um, so my wife works for a large research, um, organization in the medical sciences and they have a 4,500 person worldwide, uh, workforce. And that workforce is spread out amongst, you know, multiple campuses worldwide. Um, you know, uh, several thousand here in North Carolina and then, you know, a thousand somewhere else and, and that, that sort of density, but they also encourage and allow remote work. Um, but they encourage and allow remote work in the sense of, um, uh, you know, you work at one of these offices, you don't have to be in the office every day, but they very much want you to be in the office, you know, as often as you can be. And when she first took that job, I was worried that their ability to do, you know, to, to work around distributed workforce or, or remote workforce was, you know, whitewashing that they were, they were not really going to be good at it, but it turns out that they are pretty good at it. But I think that that's a distinct minority that when you have companies that have a, you know, 15 or 20 year history of being in one place with thousands of people that most of the time, any corporate wide move towards a distributed workforce um, will tend to be <laughs> less than enthusiastically supported and that the only way that that can usually work is if you have some localized team or department who makes a really concerted effort uh, because that team or department um, can benefit from uh, remote work uh, that they will put the effort into uh, making it palatable for everybody. So, you know, I don't want to caution giant companies to not try, but if you're going to try, you have to really try. You can't just make a statement at the CEO level of a multi-thousand person company that says, 
you know, remote work is now acceptable. All right. That's not enough energy and certainly not enough positivity to convince middle management to put their neck on the line by supporting their employees being distributed remote. Um, you really have to make it a, a concerted effort. Um, and then you have to pour the effort into, and this is, by the way, uh, this is one of those do as I do, not as I, or do as I say, not as I do moments, because, uh, you know, this is something I struggle with here at Cognitech. You have to say what you need to say and then say it again and then say it again and then find another channel to say it again. And communication is just hard. It's hard face to face. Um, it is exponentially harder when you're not face to face and, um, uh, repetition and multi-channel broadcast and then repetition again <laughs> is the only way to make sure that people you know, continue to hear what they need to hear. So it's hard and you have to work at it. Yeah. And I've... if you're not willing to do it, don't do it. Um, you know, take the other end of the trade-off. Having people together in an office is more effective than not. And if you can't put the effort into, um, dealing with the, the remote side of it, the distributed side of it, don't bother. <laughs> it's just going to hurt you to try. Yeah, and I think uh, I think your advice is uh, spot on from what I've seen, and uh, and also more general than just remote. I think you're talking about any kind of culture change if you're not really willing to get behind it and push and keep on pushing until it's really rooted, then you will probably fail. Yeah, and and uh, you know I, I read a lot about company culture. Obviously, it's it's part of my job, um, and there you know there are great descriptions of what. Um, you know, makes up your company culture. Uh, Mike Nygaard uh, likes to quote the, you know, your culture is what you can't say, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a great lens through which to view your company culture. But um, I can't remember the book and I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, grab it for the show notes later. Um, but I read a, a book about company culture where it, the primary premise was that um, uh, company culture is explicitly that part of the Venn diagram that does not include management. Um, uh, you know, you draw a Venn diagram of, of, you know, areas of effect. And as soon as you, you know, uh, subtract out anybody who has manager in their title in any way, shape or form, what you're left with is the actual cu culture of the organization. Um, and that, uh, um, everybody both inside that, that area of effect and outside of it needs to understand and respect that. Um, and, uh, what it means is that, that, uh, you can't really, um, change the culture. You can change the circumstances of the culture and hope that the culture then adapts if you, you know, if you're trying to make a change, but that the energy required to do anything like that is, you know, 10 X more than you expect it will be. And so it doesn't, yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter if it's, I'm trying to go from mostly local to mostly distributed, or if I'm trying to become, uh, an agile company when I used to be a waterfall company or, you know, pick any of these kinds of measures. Um, a manager cannot demand the change. It can only set up the expectations and the circumstances and then has to keep pouring effort into those areas until the change takes effect. And, and uh, it takes a lot longer than you expect. And it's certainly harder than you expect every time, even when you account for those <laughs> rules. <laughs> yes, the classic. Yes. So, uh, but again, all of that is to say, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, uh, you know, I like having people join, uh, here where I can see them just because I like to be around people. Um, but it's, you know, 
<laughs> Cognitech is not going to suddenly reverse course and, and go and stop being majority distributed. That's, you know, distributed is where the people are. <laughs> yeah, but on the other, at the same time, you know, kind of uh, dipping into our look forward to 2016, one of the things that we are, have realized that we need to do and, um, and that you uh, have started to affect is uh, for us to get together more often than we have been over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think we got a little lackadaisical in um, how often we would drag the whole company into one place. Uh, and so, yes, we've made some very um, deliberate choices over the course of 2015 to set up 2016 to have more um, of that. And, and uh, you know, we have um, meetings where we get the whole company together, uh, either here in North Carolina and sometimes in other places, um, memorably in the past uh, Snowshoe, West Virginia once, and uh, Williamsburg, Virginia once. Um, uh, but um, that plus, you know, being uh, together at other events um, in smaller segments, but still making more of a, of a push for that. Um, because, you know, <laughs> uh, being together allows for, like I said, a lot of that um, serendipitous communication, great ideas, um, but way more than that, um, if the only experience you have with a colleague is electronic, you can forget that they're a person. And so the little problems that arise in day-to-day -day work become big problems. And, uh, the more often you're face-to-face -face with somebody, the more you can go, oh, right, you know, you're just a person just like I am. You have just the same exact, uh, pressures on you that I have. And, and it, it stops, um, some of the politics that tends to creep into, right? And, and, and this is the thing, right? Any business faces internal politics and inter internal strife. It doesn't matter uh, who you are or what you're trying to build. Um, but those things tend to be exacerbated when all you have is a, you know, online uh, avatar and a chat handle. Um, and even voice communication doesn't really stop that. But being face-to-face -face and doing things that aren't business-related um, really help that. Um, I'll give a good example from uh, 2015. Uh, this year, last week, we had our holiday party. And our holiday party was um, a video party uh, where most of the organization dialed in, you know, on Thursday afternoon. And we had the Brady Bunch screen of everybody's individual picture. And everybody wore a silly hat. And, you know, uh, we sat around and we talked about anything but work for however long we were all there. And it was awesome. And it was great. And it's, it's, um, uh, it was a lot of fun and it's still not as, um, good for, you know, uh, reminding everybody how human everybody is as sitting around a table would have been, um, because you get to go off and talk in smaller groups and, you know, so that's what, that we're, we're trying to accomplish. Our, our corporate, you know, meetings are only so much about an agenda of getting some actual stuff done. And mostly about reminding each other, oh, right, this is our awesome teammate. And, you know, we're all going to go off and, and, and do awesome things together as people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of distributed organizations that I uh, have been exposed to in the past don't actually encourage that way of thinking. Um, and that's sort of, you know, I, I don't know if your previous experience at Microsoft fell into that category. But <laughs> yes. the larger an organization <laughs> is, the less likely they are to think, oh, I should build or allow to flourish a sense of camaraderie because that's actually important to my business goals. So instead of planning every uh, collaborative event to be 100% work, you've got to give time and space for people to just go and hang out. To be fair to Microsoft, I was a contractor, so that wasn't uh, 
quite the oh, same thing. Oh, so you thing. were subhuman anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I really, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want to be unnecessarily derogatory because uh, I think there was a lot of ways in which it was a really great place to work. Um, but remote uh, culture was, uh, was problematic at times there, and I think uh, many other people would say the same thing. But let's not, let's not go into that. I think we have our own company to focus on. And I want to turn back for a moment to uh, 2015 uh, because um, one of the things I think that is special about 2015 for us is that um, it was a really great year from a business perspective. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard this, you know, uh, we have an episode coming up with Jen Hilner, so she was yep. an important part of that picture. But uh, overall, I mean, I think, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And as you said, we enjoy a relatively privileged position. So as the market for closure has grown stronger, we have seen our business go stronger. At least that's my impression, and I'm not the head of the company. Maybe you have a, a, something else to say about that, but I suspect you'd say the same. No, absolutely. It's been a fantastic year. Um, uh, uh, it has been, you know, we affected a change years ago. We, we sat down on a path to say, um, you know, everybody who has been around long enough knows that relevance uh, started its life Actually, people may not know the whole story, but but Relevant started its life as a Java and .NET uh, focused consulting organization, and then in 2005, shortly after <clears throat> Stuart and I uh, uh, finished off liquid liquidating his earlier <laughs> startup, um, changed the focus to be Rails and Agile, um, and we spent you know four or five years maximizing the potential of that for us. Uh, but we made a very specific choice in 2008 and 2009 to start um, adopting closure and uh, then in 2011 we made a very explicit choice to you know uh, affect a much more thorough transition instead of just trying to have it be another piece of the puzzle we set out to make it the major piece of the puzzle and when you go through a transition like that where we're changing the technology focus of a consulting organization away from the two things that really had been our drivers in the market, Rails and Agile. Um, and Agile, by the way, now we practice with a lowercase a, and we don't do a lot of, you know, it's the way we work, but we don't train people in it like we used to do, for example. Um, uh, but that transition uh, had, you know, it was a transition. And so you had, there are ups and downs along with it. Um, uh, the market for closure consulting um, at the time was nascent and we had to nurture it and um, see it grow. Uh, and 2015, uh, you know, we are uh, thrilled in that um, 100% of every project we've done this year uh, has been um, closure based. Uh, at its core, most of those projects are also using closure script uh, for front end development. Uh, the, you know, the majority of these projects are also have Datomic somewhere in them. And just on those measures, if it, even if it wasn't for the growth of the overall business, just knowing that all of those things were true makes 2015 the culmination of a multi-year plan for transition, and we're just seeing tremendous uh, movement, and it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. It's funny. You know, the other interesting thing about you—you you were asking about the business—is that you know the holidays are usually a fairly slow time for any consulting organization, um, and historically that's been true for us. But um, uh, this is the uh, the strongest, busiest holiday season uh, in memory uh, for us, uh, which is always great, right? Uh, you, you know, people like to have some time to kick back and put their feet up at the holidays, but as a company, it's always nice to just keep on trucking and uh, uh, have a lot of demand that needs to be filled, and so. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating holiday, uh, for me because there's a lot to do, um, which is not always the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing consulting for 15 years and, uh, an inevitable part of consulting is bench time for consultants. Um, you know, and, uh, Justin, what's our, what's our bench percentage going through this end of the year? <laughs> Minus 5%. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's really crazy. Uh, uh, we've been, yeah, overbooked for a while now and, and, um, you know, hence growth. Uh, but, um, very rarely do, uh, you know, I can only really speak for the companies I've been involved in, but, um, my, my understanding based on that experience and, and talking to other people is that very rarely do you feel upward growth pressure, um, through the holiday season and we're still feeling it. Uh, and which just means that the, the uptake of, of the, the, the things that we do, continues to be strong and and i hope that that uh, you know the people out there who've been doing closure for a while or people who are thinking about joining etc all feel that same upward pressure uh, uh you know it's it's certainly uh our <laughs> one of our primary goals to make sure that that remains true and outside of just our four walls right we don't um <laughs> we want to see it, that rising tide float a lot of boats absolutely um so i, I want to I... Oh, this has been a fascinating discussion, but I want to move on to a couple more things that, I, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to get to absolutely everything. Yes, <laughs> we might have to get, get you back on, but I think uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about uh, Datomic in 2015. Yeah, so um, uh, Datomic um, has been uh, has a, has had a really fun year, um, strong growth uh, on the adoption side. And, um, for me, sort of a bellwether moment for Datomic was this year at, uh, Closure Conj, we, uh, held a one day Datomic Conf event the day before, um, Conj. And, um, you know, it being the first time we tried, uh, to do such a thing, um, we had no real idea or expectation for, you know, what the attendance would look like. Um, uh, and, uh, we were, uh, incredibly gratified, uh, and it was a real thrill for us when, um, you know, well more than a hundred people, uh, showed up for, uh, the one day event, um, which we recorded and, uh, put the videos out, um, you know, a few days after, uh, it had gone, uh, down. Um, but that, um, opportunity to, you know, be in a room with, uh, you know, I, I think it was 120 folks, uh, all really interested in Datomic, um, was, uh, awesome. Um, we had a lot of great conversations as a result. Um, uh, got a lot of great feedback. Um, were able to help a lot of people, uh, overcome, uh, you know, whatever challenge they were having. Um, so, uh, you know, looking ahead to 2016, you were evaluating how and, and when to try, uh, something like that again. But, um, you know, for sticking our toe in the water and trying something, uh, uh, it was just uh, wonderful. And, and thanks to everybody who showed up um, uh, and, uh, and everybody else who's been able to watch the videos online. I think it was, it was cool. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, um, uh, this was a good year for us, uh, you know, really uh, cementing the, 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 the way we support our customers. I think um, uh, Ben Camphouse, who is sort of our, uh, uh, the, the public face of, of Datomic support, um, has really, uh, done a tremendous job and, and, um, uh, uh, making sure that our customers are not only are well supported, but feel well supported. And, uh, lots of other folks in the company have, have jumped in and, and pushed hard on that as well. And so that's been 
um, uh, a lot of fun to see. And of course, the the pace of releases has maintained fairly steadily throughout the the whole year. And and uh, uh, you know, the the focus this year was really responding to customer need. And um, and I think that the 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 team working on the product has been really focused there and done a really good job of keeping up with uh, uh, that kind of uh, the demand and the, and the, the requests that have gone through. So uh, it's great. And I'm really pleased with the, its growth in the market. And, and um, you know, I'm looking forward to an equally awesome 2016 on that front. But, you know, uh, 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 Datomic Conf, man, uh, it was it was a good day. Yeah, that's always exciting. I, I Unfortunately, I was in the I was in the next room. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I couldn't go. I was and I was I was teaching the closure intro closure class which was actually um, super fun. We had a really really great group. We were there until uh, 8 p.m. on the last night. Uh, you know, they had asked so many questions that there were a few things that we didn't have time for that we never have time for everything in that class. We bring more material than there is time available. But uh, you know, people are like, "Oh, we didn't get to do X." I'm like, "Well, you tell you what. I will stay here until they kick us out of the room." And we literally stayed until they kicked us out of the room. <laughs> and, and, you know, the Atomic Conf was going on right next door, but we were having a great time. And it was really interesting to me because that class had people in it who had been doing closure in production and wanted to come back and, I think, get a kind of a grounding to get a, a broad view and say, okay, I, I really know how to put all the pieces together. And we had one student who had been programming at all for a month, like ever, you know, from, from no programming whatsoever one month ago, to she uh, was sitting in this uh, closure class, and she, she did very well, I thought. Uh, so uh, it was just a fascinating cross-section to see that people are still, as you say, coming to this language. You know, we had 35 students in the class, which is actually a pretty big class uh, for an intro course at a at a um, at a at a co-located at a conference devoted to the language. It's really quite impressive. And I I want to pluck. A, a line that you just said out of there and, and expound for a minute. The other, you know, one of the other great things about 2015, which I think I mentioned at the end of the 2014, um, but has remained true this year that I'm really excited about is the ongoing growth of the Closure Bridge organization and the movement there. Um, you know, we hosted the first one here in North Carolina um, and we hosted another one um, here in North Carolina uh, in October. Um, but, you know, Closure bridges have now happened in, I don't even know how many countries it's, you know, <laughs> it's in the double digits and I think it's more than 20 countries now. Um, uh, and every time I'm exposed to the students who come to a closure bridge, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly blown away. These are people who come from uh, all walks of life, um, some of whom have been programming for years, some of whom who are trying programming for the first time some of whom who have been around the technical industry for a long time, some of whom have never been. Um, uh, and so watching uh, this group of women, um, uh, you know, get exposure to closure, um, get exposure to the closure community uh, and tackle this intense, you know, multi-day um, course uh, remains uh, very powerful. And, um, you know, I, I really strongly encourage people who are listening to find a closure bridge happening near you and, you know, volunteer to help out if you're, um, a person who, you know, has a background or a skill where, where volunteering could be useful or even just to come and, you know, help with the catering, et cetera. Um, and if you're, uh, you know, listening because you want to learn more about the community and you've never seen it before, um, uh, it's a great entry point. So, uh, that's just been a great part of 2015 and 2014 before that. So, uh, 
we love seeing new people. We love seeing new women in the community and we love seeing the effort that goes into running uh, events like Closure Bridge. Totally agree. I just want to add two points on Closure Bridge. One is that I'm always uh, careful to point out that I think you would agree with this policy that Closure Bridge is not a Cognitech organization. And I don't Absolutely. say that we would be, we would be proud if it were, it's an amazing thing, but credit where credit is due. It, I think it's because we talk about it so much, it would be easy for somebody to make the mistake and think this comes from us. It doesn't. It comes from a different group of people that we happily, happily support. Um, and then the other thing is um, they are now accepting donations. So in addition to all the other ways that you can help, uh, they they could uh, they would happily accept your financial uh, assistance. So go yes, to Yes, closurebridge.org. Yep, closurebridge.org. Um, cool. Well, Justin, I think maybe it's time for us to go to the part every year where I uh, potentially make you eat your words. <laughs> uh, so let me just, uh, so what, this is the point where we, we, we play back every year. I, I kind of make you say, uh, Hey, what, what does 2016 look like? And I think I often put it like, um, when we get to the end of 2016 and then we're here, uh, which by the way, will be after the hundredth episode of this show, which is insane to me. Um, but at the end of 20, in other words, in 2016, we're going to hit episode number 100. And so here we are at the end of 2016, it's episode, I don't know, 115 or something like that. And you and I are back together. And uh, I'm going to say to you, hey, Justin, what made 2016 a success? Now, we did that last year. What, what yes. will have made 2015 a success? So I'm going to ask Russ to splice in that segment, maybe with the, uh, let's see, what do I want this year? Last year, he did sort of a tape rewinding sound. I know what I want. <laughs> I want the uh, I want the Wayne's World flashback sound. So he's got to go and find that for me. Um, or maybe he'll make me sound like a chicken or something. I don't know. It's up to him. Uh, he's he is my boss. So That's right. <laughs> I really can't say. So um, anyway, so um, so let me go. Let me let's go have him do that. Uh, well, okay. Well, that might be my cue to um, to put you on the spot and ask you to give me some words that I will play back throw in back your in face. Me. That's right. Throw back in your face at the end of 2015 when we do this again. So Justin. How, let's see, how should I phrase this? What do you think will be true at the end of 2015? Like, what, what will we be looking back over 2015 and saying, this was what happened or the properties of 2015? That's a fascinating question, more so now than it ever has been. Um, <laughs> because uh, I would say that the, the central problem facing a company in our position is defining for itself what it means by growth. Because what I mean by the word growth is in the sense of personal growth, but for a company. Uh, we are about to embark on a growth phase for Cognitech as we mature. This was our, our birth year. Now, now we're going to start growing and becoming the, the company we're going to be in the future. A lot of companies define growth to mean headcount. And I always have viewed and will continue to view forever headcount as a side effect of the actual growth that a company needs to, to do. And so I would say that we've grown a lot as a company this in 2014, but, but we're largely the same size and shape of company that we were at the beginning of the year. And it's hard for me to say what 2015 will bring, but I would be shocked if we got to the end of 2015, like I said, and felt like we weren't radically altered in some significant ways. Certainly, 
we have a roadmap that uh, will, um, you know, add some new things into the world uh, over the course of 2015. And uh, we expect those to be, you know, different enough from where we are now that, that it, we can't help but be a, bit, a different organization, um, you know, once they're out there. Uh, I think every company has that same sort of roadmap. But but like we said at the end of 2013, 2014 for us was about cementing this new identity. 2015 is about launching things into the world under this new identity. And, and, and that's reacting to what happens then. So that's what I think will be true. Uh, and hard to, hard to make a better prediction than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like your characterization. I mean, uh, I'm reminded of, you know, I have a six-year-old. And uh, <laughs> to her, like, getting older is essentially, or maybe I should say getting more mature is essentially equivalent with getting taller. Yes. Right. So like she'll we'll have conversations where she'll be like, "Will you when you get older, will you be taller? Uh, right. Maybe less now that she's a little older, but, you know, certainly it's the earlier points in her life. And uh, like, no, that's not really how that works. But I'm still maturing, still developing. I really like that the way you've separated those out. It's a kind of a cognitive thing, right, is let's let's keep let's keep separate things separate. Well, let's keep separate things separate and let's keep the focus on exactly what it is, which is as people, companies are just collections of people. The real driving force of everything we do is growth and keeping the people front and center. And that's growth in the human sense, not growth in the number of humans sense. And, you know, let the forces of that growth drive us where they will. You know, there have been years where that has meant uh, dramatic increase in headcount. There's been years where it's meant dramatic diversification of, of offerings. There's been years where it meant, you know, hunkering down and, and uh, you know, we're an 11-year-old company, and, and which is remarkable for me to say, right? Cognitech's a year old, but this organization is 11 years old. We've seen a lot, and uh, I feel uh, truly, truly, truly lucky, blessed, pick your adjective of choice, to have been around for 11 years already. Um, most companies don't make it past two. Uh, I, I feel like we... We have a lot to be thankful for. And then, frankly, I, I'm also a person who views gratitude as a sense of obligation. So we have a lot to be thankful for, but that means we're obligated to do great stuff as a result of that. And so uh, I'd like to see 2015 be us achieving some great things. Okay, so Justin, we've got to hear your um, your prediction for 2015. So here we are sitting at the end of it. What do you, what do you think? How'd you do? Uh, well, I mean, I was, I was predictably vague, so, uh, I I think I did a spot on job. Um, we certainly, uh, spent 2015, um, uh, launching some new things into the world. Uh, and we spent 2015, um, uh, internalizing what as an organization we needed to do to change. And as I said, that did in fact this year result in some, um, growth of headcount, uh, but that growth of headcount was based on um, the kind of growth we were doing, as 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 I said earlier in the in the episode, you know, 2015 saw us um, really recognize the growth of the market for um, closure technology uh, in tech in production of Datomic in production, and as a result, we've had to add uh, to our staff uh, more. Uh, consulting engineers um, to uh, staff those projects, um, new members of the sales and marketing team to continue to promote that growth and handle uh, the the phone calls that we get, um, and new members uh, of our internal staff um, who um, you know <laughs> manage the results of that growth uh, and its impacts on our our own um, efforts, and so. Uh, uh, I still don't 
um, uh, count headcount growth as as a measure of success, just as a measure of uh, where we've been um, driven by uh, the opportunities that we've created and, and that have been created around us. So that's been great. Um, uh, definitely, uh, you know, those pushes into the European market and and the introduction of things like Datomic Conf have been uh, uh, very fun for us and and certainly some new technologies that have come into being uh, on uh, the closure side. So um, and closure uh, script and closure script. Um, uh, you know, tons of tons and tons and tons of, of interesting um, work going on. And, and, you know, I know that the next question is going to be, uh, say the same thing about 2016. Yes, so I'll just please jump do. There. <laughs> yeah, to go for it. So, um, uh, in 2016, I have a, a, a much stronger sense at the end of 2015 of, um, the kind of company that we are and need to be in order to continue to, um, uh, tackle the opportunity here. Um, I think that, that the, the biggest, thing that we see in front of us um, are some technical trends that, that we absolutely want to uh, continue to um, be at the forefront of and um, push hard on. But, uh, you know, what we're seeing is, I, I hate to use the word hockey stick, so I'm going to stop using it. Um, but there's an inflection in the adoption of um, closure and atomic and the things that we focus on that uh, uh, will be the driving force, uh, coupled with these, these technical waves that we're trying to ride for 2016. And, um, uh, you know, I see a successful 2016 as, uh, us, uh, making good on, uh, the, the, you know, sort of technical predictions that we're making. Um, but also in enabling more, um, people who don't work at Cognitex to take advantage of, this rising tide, um, uh, all of that remains, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, high on my list. And uh, if I get to the 20, end of 2016 and, and can say those things, then then I'll be happy. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, I'm right there with you. You know, I think uh, 2016 looks like an exciting. I mean, we say this every year, and I, you know, I think I, I, I am I'm careful as an engineer to preface these types of conversations with, well, look. You know, you, you understand that where I sit, um, you know, all of us here at Cognac have a vested interest. Um, but I think when I when I apply my uh, objectivity glasses to the extent that that's possible, um, I think there really are some objective measures that you can look at and say there really is growth. There really is like a solid basis for believing that uh, 2016 will be. Um, another year uh, showing the advance of these ideas because that's really I think the important thing I mean I think everybody in the company you know yeah we're out to make money for sure I mean that's, it's a company it's a company <laughs> but at the same time I think um, maybe more than than a lot of other places I think a lot of us would be um, would be satisfied in some sense by the success of ideas like um, you know uh, the attitudes towards state that are embodied in these technologies, things like that, right? The philosophical side, if that succeeded and for whatever reason, you know, the, the business side was not successful, then I think that, I think all of us uh, would be in some sense satisfied by that. Again, not that we're not pursuing the, the goals of succeeding as a business. We absolutely are. And we think that closure and datomic and all these things are, are the, are a good realization of those ideas. But, uh, but I mean, you know, like you look around and you go, okay, people are really picking up on these things and, 
and it's and it's a good thing for the world. It's making programming better, which is a bigger and bigger part of everything that everybody does, right? Like software touches everything. Right, and uh, you know, <laughs> that's a this is a great place for me to um, uh, probably end the show on a on a one minute. Uh, rant, if you will, but yeah, um, uh, you know, we have a philosophy of um, how you know we think software development could look, um, and everything that we've brought into the world um, has been a manifestation uh, of that philosophy, and that's Closure and ClojureScript and Datomic and you know Transit and pick your um, you know <laughs> library language product, etc. Um, uh, we don't think it's the only way that software should work or could work, um, but uh, it's a way that that allows us to pursue um, solutions to big problems in a way that we find to be effective. And we think that that could be true for a lot of other people. Um, and that philosophy is what is the heart of what we bring out. Um, but nobody pays for philosophy. <laughs> Right? People, people just don't buy your philosophy. I don't know if that's true, actually. Right? I think that, no. But I mean, seriously, as a, as a person on the consulting side of the business, I feel like we have customers that come to us and say, you know, that they've they've seen like Rich's talks about how software should be built. I mean, yeah, they're, in a sense, they're paying for technology. But I think, I think if we suddenly said, you know, oh hey, Closure 2.0 is out, and you should switch to that. And by the way, it's not a Lisp. That there would be people that would go along for the ride because they believe in the ideas now oh, absolutely right so like i think there is a sense in which in which I, I know what you're saying right like they they still pay for particular you know build software using this thing but but in a sense i almost feel like we are uh selling a tech uh, philosophy rather that we truly deeply believe in that that and that is exactly the point okay that, that what we you know the heart of the company and what that what we bring to the market is a philosophy of of software development uh, but there are manifestations that people have to, you know, can either download for gotcha, free, gotcha. closure, open source, or they can buy because it's Datomic, or they can pay for because it's, you know, engineers spending hours building stuff. Gotcha. Sorry, I missed your point, but now I see yeah. it. Okay. So, so uh, you know, if it were true that that you could just package philosophy and sell it uh, uh, directly, <laughs> right, right, media, right. I'm sure we would have examined that opportunity. Um, uh, but, um, but that's sort of, you know, it's great, and it remains great to be to be an organization that, that, you know, for its entire history and especially now, um, uh, can really be about pursuing the manifestation of this philosophy and, and see where that takes us. Um, and that's what everything that we do is about. And, you know, our philosophy is more than just how software can work. We also have a deep and abiding philosophy of, you know, how you treat customers. And, you know, there's lots of other things that, that sort of line up behind that. Um, but, uh, you know, at the heart, believing in something and then, manifesting it and and you know hopefully there are people who believe the same thing and and so far that's been true and it seems more true in 2015 than ever before and and it points to great things in 2016 so we hope that it it continues to resonate um doesn't have to resonate with everybody uh but it certainly seems to be resonating with enough people that that there's a real um there's a real opportunity for for not only us but for for a lot of other folks too so that's been exciting and, it, and it, that's what's exciting me about 2016 awesome yeah right there with you I mean, literally, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're along. I am. I sure am. By choice, too. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Um, anyway, um, so so Justin, I think, uh, like I said, I, I feel like there's a bunch more we could talk about, but we we made a a really fascinating detour into a couple of uh, interesting areas. I, I I loved hearing your thoughts about um, 
remote work, uh, it's such a, such a critical part of what we do, and I think more and more people are finding that to be the same, so I think it was a worthwhile, worthwhile work. Distrib thank you. Distributed work. Yep. Oh, see, like I said, you you made the, and I'm really not like kissing your butt here. Like you really, I think the company really did make that transition very smoothly. I didn't even notice it, right? Like we we just stopped saying remote. Or anyway, point is that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, but we do, of course, have one more thing that we need to talk about, which is the the closer at the end of the show, where I ask you to share a piece of advice. You've already given us many good pieces of advice, but I suspect that you, uh, as a listener of the show. Uh, have something in mind for here at the end. So what uh, kind of advice would you like to share with our listeners, Justin? So uh, for me this year, the the thing that I was able to do for myself um, that was inordinately valuable uh, was to carve 10 minutes out of my day every day in some way, shape, or form, and I, you know, you can say to meditate or to uh, sit in silence or to uh, pray or to whatever. Um, but finding a chance to do that, uh, which of course is driven by me, my kids um, go to a school where um, they they start every morning uh, in a practice called settling in. Um, so when they're in preschool and kindergarten, they sit in silence, group silence, for one minute. And when they get into elementary school, it's five minutes. In middle school, it's um, 15 minutes. And in high school, it's uh, 25 minutes. Uh, none of my kids is in high school yet, uh, but that's coming. Um, and uh, it was this year where I finally said, you know, I need to do that for myself um, uh, on a regular basis. It hasn't been 100% uh, successful, but uh, most days I can find 10 minutes to go sit quietly at Craig, you know, at the atrium here at the uh, office. Um, that's where I go when it's warm enough and sunny enough. Uh, it's been the thing for me that has allowed, you know, <laughs> a lot of, you know, I, it's my hammock time, <laughs> right? Go and sit by yourself in silence every day for five minutes. If you can, um, it's a gift that, uh, pays itself off really quickly. Um, and, uh, and everybody deserves it. So, uh, even if you don't feel like you have it, make yourself have it. Hmm. I love That's it. My advice. That's fantastic. I've it's and it's one I've been meaning to do, but I you know haven't. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I love it. It, it. A lot of people feel themselves in the same place. Give it, it a whirl for a week. Okay, I will. I absolutely will. I promise you. Right now, I will try that. Uh, uh, maybe that's a good New Year's thing for me. I'm on vacation right now. It might not be the best time to institute a new practice, but uh, it actually it actually might be the best. Time. It might be. It might be. It's true. That's a good point. Anyway, I'll have to think about that. But I, I want to try it somewhere, some uh, at some point in the very very near future. Anyway, fantastic advice as always. I always get good advice from you, Justin, in all things, and uh, today was no exception. I mean, I I love. I look forward to this episode all year. Like I said, we should have you back on uh, more often than once a year. But I'm glad that we, at a minimum. Uh, do that and uh, I think it's been it's been great to talk to you and I really enjoy the conversation so thanks a ton for taking time out of your uh, your schedule to, to talk to us today it's awesome as always and uh, yeah let's let's plan something in the summer <laughs> sounds good we'll do that <laughs> All fantastic right. thanks All right. Craig well thank you thanks everybody for listening uh, like I will echo that thanks for listening uh, this has been the copy
You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art and show notes at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash podcast. You can contact us by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest today was Justin Getland on Twitter at jgetland, J-G-E-H-T-L-A-N-D. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.